me a favor. Let's, let's be in prayer together. Father, be with us right now as we take a collective deep breath. As we breathe life in and simply say thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this moment in time, for this space that we can be together as this gathered church. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, who we've been having wonderful conversations about. But Father, as we continue to make that transition to having conversations about Jesus, to implementing Jesus into our very being, we continue to explore what it looks like to live life as a disciple of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for your presence. And may we give you consent to be present and active in our lives right now. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, the whole church said, Amen. They left their vocations to follow him. His friends dug through a roof and then lowered him down to Jesus. He showed up at night to meet with Jesus. She touched the hem of his garment. He happened to be born blind. But Jesus told him to go wash. So he did. He climbed a tree so he could see Jesus. And while her sister frantically pulled the house together... To host Jesus, she sat at his feet and listened. And so we asked this question this morning. What's the one thing, or at least the one big thing, that all of these people had in common with each other? And it's this. They all moved. They all moved. They took action. They responded to an invitation, if you will, and they moved from one stage of their journey to the next. But what prompted that move? What allowed each person in their space of life to move? Maybe the word is posture. If you don't like posture, it might be attitude. But these... People were primed, and they were ready, they were hungry, they were seeking, they were desiring. There was, there was something about them that when the opportunity presented itself, they took action, they moved. Mm-hmm. And when we, think about, when we think about things we're comfortable saying in those, in those areas, right, the attitude or the posture, the first thing you, 
you often hear from scripture is that the person has to be able to hear. They have to have ears to actually be able to hear the opportunity, to, to hear the invitation wherever it's coming from. In this case, it was coming directly from Jesus, directly from God himself, walking and talking and being among them. And they also have to be able to act. So it's not just hearing it. We'll see that in a few minutes. Some people did hear and they heard correctly, but then they didn't act. These people all heard and they also acted. Because of the deep work that the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives already. If you think about an invitation, regardless of what it's an invitation to, you have to automatically, when you hear it, have some sort of response. Even if I send you a party invitation, you already know if you feel like going to a party or not. And sometimes there's, a, there's other applications, right, for that. But the Holy Spirit has been working in the lives of these people, and God has been on the move in their lives. And so when the invitation comes from Jesus, there's an immediate reaction because there's already been contemplation. There's already been deliberation. There's already been thoughts in the mind and the soul and the heart of these people that when these opportunities present themselves, they'll jump on them. And that's the recognition of God in their life. We, we, we often sometimes, I think, unfortunately say, well, we're going somewhere and we're going to take God into this place. We're going to take God into this foreign country. We're going to take God into this part of town or into this institution or whatever it is, forgetting that God's everywhere. He's already there. We're just simply coming in to join him where he's already working. And the availability, right? The, the, the lack of having an excuse of why, oh, oh, this was the wrong timing. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is an opportunity but it's really not in the best timing for me right now. It'd be better if it came a few days later or if I had had time to go do something else. So they hear and they see and they're attentive. They're not distracted by the other things. As we just heard at, at the table for communion, try to put the distractions of this world out of your mind. Well, those distractions were out of their mind when the opportunities presented themselves. So the availability was there. They are also sent people. They realize that these invitations are not an invitation just to receive, but an invitation to receive and then to actually carry with them what they have received and give it away by being sent. And then another word, pliability. I don't know if we use this word that much considering pe people. We sometimes use it uh, in construction and other things that we, that we talk about with being able to be moldable or shapeable, but it's really, really applicable to us, because if we're not pliable, if we're so rigid that when we hear these things, these invitations, or when we see this, this opportunity that God has put before us, if we're not pliable, we're liable to dismiss it because of tradition or rules or what we've always thought. So we've got to be open to change. We've got to be flexible enough, and we see this in Scripture too, right? We see we see those in Scripture who are not pliable, who are rigid, and actually reject Jesus' invitation because it doesn't line up with what they think at that time. Rather than being open to change, processing those thoughts, and letting the Holy Spirit join them in that flexibility. An example is Jesus says, and Les used this in a sermon just last week or the week before, uh, in Matthew 8.22, but Jesus told him, speaking to someone, follow me. And there's the invitation, right? Follow me. 
And the answer was by that person, well, I, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my, my dead first. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. So there's, a, there's an invitation to follow him that's rejected because there's a distraction. There's something that's not the right timing. There's not the immediate action that's taken. And another one with the same concept from Luke 9, verse 60, is Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There's something you're sent to go do, and you need to go do it without the excuses of the reasons that you're saying you would delay. Which brings us to desires, and I love the fact that we're talking about invitations. And I don't know about you, but as, as, as Stan is talking about these things, I think about the numerous invitations that I've received throughout my life. And one of the things that I realize and I've come to find true about invitations is that they're gentle. Right? No one, is, no one says in an invitation to a wedding... Um, you need to come to this or, right? If you don't show up, this will happen. There's an invitation. It's a gentle invitation into something. And we, at that point, have an opportunity to either, as Stan has just said, reject it or step into it. And so it brings us to desires. And so the passage we have up here is Luke 18, verse 41. It simply says this, what do you want me to do for you? There will be time and time again when you will see Jesus and Scripture interacting with someone or some ones or a group, but certainly people, and they come into following him and he may turn around and say, what do you want? What are you doing? And Jesus over and over again will address their desires. And so we come to desires. And with desires, though, there's a couple of questions that I want to put before you. And I think at this point, I don't think either one of these questions are going to be something foreign to you at this point. But here's the first one. Who am I becoming? I don't know that we can't not ask this question each time we continue to bring these invitations up when it comes to Jesus. Because if we are accepting invitations to walk with him and to follow him, there must be a change in who we are becoming. So the word I, who am I becoming? But let's extend it beyond that. Who are we Because I am not alone in this. We, as a church body, are in this together. So who are we, as a church, becoming? And I think both questions... By the way, I don't... There's no demographic attached to this, by the way, either. I'm saying this to the small student body that's right here, just gathered right here, as well as other demographics in this room. You get to ask that same question right now, even at your age. Who are you becoming? Because you're part of this. Don't let anybody else tell you that you're not part of this. You are part of the collective church, and the question continues, and it remains, who are we becoming as a church body? Both are questions of posture. They both address our desires and deepest longings. So let me state it this way. They... We're not satisfied with the place they were in, so they desired to follow Jesus. They desired for their friend to walk again. They desired to know who Jesus really was. Actually, he desired to know who Jesus really was. She desired to be healed from her bleeding. He desired to have his eyesight restored. 
And he desired to see Jesus. She desired to be present with Jesus. So in what ways does our posture, mine and yours, our receptivity, our pliability, our availability, our consent to be present mirror those that we've talked about for all these different weeks who encountered Jesus? And we keep thinking about this. What was it that motivated their posture? And I can't help but think this. I can't help but think that one of the things that motivated their posture was the very posture of Jesus himself. Because when Jesus encountered people, he met them where they were at that point in their journey. He didn't say to them, I'll visit with you when you get to this stage in your journey. He met them where they were. And so in other words, he moved towards them, not away from them. And so if you think about that even deeper, what it means is is that God himself, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, moved towards the brokenness of humanity, not away from it. So I wonder, what motivates our desires? Yeah, that's a deep question, right? (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, there's tons of things that may pop in your head right now that might motivate some of your desires in a mortal, human, earthly kind of way, right? But this is, this is vision that's well beyond the immediate context. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's, for example, a lady who's been bleeding for 12 years, and the doctors have actually made it even worse, the text says. You think her desire is for anything other than that to stop? I mean, that, that's... That's pretty self-evident, but maybe, maybe depending on where we are on the journeys, maybe depending on what's going on in our life, we don't have an immediate desire like that. If someone were to pop up right now and say, hey, what do you want? We might have to think about it. Say, well, what, what do I actually need? Because we're not really in tune with what we need, all of the people in these stories, these encounters that we've gone through with Jesus, they didn't have that problem. They, they knew right at the top of their list what was the one thing that they desired and what they needed. And here's the interesting thing that I, I don't think we often see in Scripture. You, you, know, the, you know the Bible Bowl type, type thought process of the little things. Of what's, the, what's the thing that's said in Scripture the most? Oh, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Some people say, I've never counted them, but some people say it's 365 times that it's in the, that it's in the Bible. If that's true, then there's a do not be afraid for every single day of the year for whatever you're afraid of. And that's how I always remember that, whether it's right or wrong, somebody can, somebody can let me know later. But the point is, that's not, really, that's not really what it's about. It's not about knowing how many times it says it. It's actually understanding why it's said. Mm. And the one thing, besides the desire that they all identified that they had, that is in common, I think, with their posture, their attitude back towards Jesus, when he makes this invitation, is that they don't fear him. They're not saying, oh, man, I really need this to stop. I really need the bleeding to stop. I really need to climb this tree and see who this guy is. I really need to drop my nets right now, leave my dad in the boat, and go follow this person. But what if he doesn't accept me? What if he tells me I'm not ready? What if he tells me, nope, sorry, you haven't cleaned yourself up enough to follow me. You haven't cleaned yourself up enough to to have your problem resolved. What if he tells me bad news rather than good news? 
but he never does do that. He meets people where they are on their journey, already knowing where each one of them are, already knowing the rejections that they've had. They haven't had a rabbi offer to let them follow them. They have no teacher. They're doing some other vocation that they don't really want to do. They really want to do the invitation to follow him. She wants the bleeding to stop. He wants to climb a tree and see who this person is that's coming through town. He does not force these movements on them. They're taking the action. So I think for the rest of the time that we have together, we have to hold that one in our minds. Do do not hear either one of us saying, oh, there they go, they're going to works. No, no. The work is not what gets them the opportunity. The opportunity comes first. The invitation is there, but the action has to be to take the invitation and do something with it. Not just say, oh, great, I received an invitation. I've got a stack of invitations. I didn't go to any of them, but I've got, I feel really good that I got a whole bunch in the mail, but I, but I didn't go to any of them. You have to make the move just like these people in Scripture made the move. Jesus isn't going to force you to do it. And that's Jesus through the Holy Spirit enabling what we call Christian courage. Mm. The ability to step out when the world says, oh boy, that would be dumb. That's going to blow your foot off. That's going to be a mistake. You're going to wish you hadn't done that. Or even your internal monologue, even your conscience is going to say, man, this could, this could end poorly. This could not go well. But I have the supernatural power that's in me that raised Jesus from the dead. And that courage and that that assurance that when I step out in his name, things are going to go well, is what I have to lean into for Christian courage in order to make those moves that are very difficult to make otherwise. I immediately, um, stand uh, reflected upon the stack of invitations at my home. <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> I, remind me, we are reminded to respond one way or the other, right? Um, but how true just to think about the stack of invitations that we often all receive. And um, I love this, this trajectory because when I think about the people that you're talking about and Jesus meeting them where they are and the needs that they had, he didn't bend down to the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years and go, well, okay, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Right? Not to even make light of that. He didn't, he didn't respond to people that way. He didn't, he didn't respond to someone who's been blind their whole life and say, man, I know, that's, I know it's been hard. Or, well, but, and, and... He didn't say something like, sorry, that's as good as it gets yeah. here in this broken yeah. world. You'll just have to wait till eternity and we'll just, fix that. Just then. stay here. Just stay in this. Yeah, so those, those conversations are not had. There were immediate needs and things were taken care of. I think about, again, the, that posture of Jesus meeting them where they were. So this question comes up. What if they had never moved? What if they had never moved? Just, just think about that for a moment. Think about the different narrative. I don't know if you do this with stories. There are certain, well, there's a new Marvel series out right now for the students and others who are Marvel fans. What if? Where they take different storylines out there. We have the storylines of the people in, in the scripture, but what if? What if they had never moved? What if they had never followed Jesus? What if? What if the paralytic's friends had simply given up while they were carrying him to the house 
once they saw the crowds and thought, forget it. There's no way in. We tried, man. We, we got you as far as we could, but this is as good as it's going to get. We tried. What if, what if Nicodemus had not followed through with his curiosity? What if she had given in to her hopelessness and never touched Jesus' garment? What if? What if the man born blind had rejected Jesus' instructions and invitation to simply go and wash? What if Zacchaeus had rejected Jesus' invitation to come down the tree? And what if Mary had been just as consumed with worry and distraction as her sister was and never sat at the feet to be present with Jesus? What if they never moved? Which brings us to another really important question in the life of who you and I are, and that is, what if you and I never move? What if we never move? What if we as individuals and as collective as a church never move? They wanted to see. They wanted to walk. They wanted to stop bleeding. They wanted to follow immediately, not at some distant point in the future. So what if? What if we never move? It's that, it's that clause of not some distant point in the future that really gets me. Mm. If you think about it, the narrative that they were living... Let's just, let's just take one. You know, what if she had heard, you, you can't even be in that crowd. No one wants you to touch them. And then you surely don't reach out and touch a male in, out in the open, in public, in society. What if she had let that narrative be the narrative that defined her? And when I think about that, I think, my goodness, what kind of orchestration did she have to do to move through a crowd that didn't want her there. She's unclean. She's not to, not to be around people. And to get close enough to Jesus to actually physically touch the hem of his garment, there was a lot going on to make that happen. You, you try to get near you know, a Titans player or some sort of celebrity nowadays, and you can't do it. So she had some sort of premeditated plan to get her to what she knew was the empowerment for the immediate benefit and was going to change her narrative right, right there, right then. So what happens if we don't follow that example and we say the narrative that this community, the, the we, what if we do not move, the narrative of us gathered together has to be something bigger than just individualistic attendance in order to take care of me. If I come here and it's just about me, and it's just about you, and it's just about all of us individually, then all we've really done is come together as we've witnessed each other that we're taking care of ourselves. We have a relationship with Jesus. We're saved, whatever you want to say. But if it stops there, if that's the only reason to get together, then there's no community that's moving together. We're just having a touch point where we come together and just reconfirm with each other that all of us are we're okay. Moving around. Yeah, we're moving around. Yeah. We're, not, we're not joining God in where he is, where his invitation is, hey, come, come help me use you for the sake of the world. And that requires attention that us singular, singularly we cannot get. 
I cannot go out into the world and make enough noise or, or be different enough or offer people an alternative, an alternative way to live for them to really care about Stan Wilson saying that. But if we all do something together that gets, wait a minute, those people are living a different way, they're doing something differently, and they're way out ahead of the narratives that everybody is accepting as, as they can't do anything about. The bleeding that won't stop, the vision that's not there, the, the walking that's not there, what, whatever it is, that group of people is showing that all things are possible with God. Mm. If we're doing that, then we're moving, right? And if we're moving, um, we're not just ritualistically becoming stuck or becoming stagnant, where we're just saying, hey, you know, like we said a while ago, sorry, this is as good as it gets in this broken world. Mm -hmm. None of these things that Scripture talks about are really going to be possible for us until some point down the road compared to, no, they're actually possible now. Well, I love this, and I think one of the things that, I think we attempt to do this, and if you were to pause on any one of these stories, and I think we attempt to do this in, from time to time, but that is this, if you were to pause and look at the movement that took place in any one of those people's lives, it didn't just stop with that incident of healing, right? right. So for the woman, she has 12 years of bleeding that have stopped, and because of all the things that were happening in her culture, she's now restored fully to a culture socially, not just physically with her own body, but she is now going to be able to experience life. So that movement is like a ripple effect that continues to move throughout our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And she's enabled mm -hmm. to go do things she couldn't have done before. She's equipped mm -hmm. to go do things she wasn't able to do before because of the hindrance of her condition, right? So what if we do not move? What if we do not align our desires with God's? In other words, what if we just take care of ourselves with end-of-life insurance policies that we know that when Judgment Day comes, we're going to be okay, but we haven't really done anything for all those who don't know that, and we haven't really done anything for the world where God's out there working. So let's think about this. This is potentially going to be pretty challenging. Um, this is where my passion lies, is in the kingdom and in leaning into the Christian courage that God enables us to do things even now that he will show up in ways that if we just make the move, if we just join him, it will be, it will be well, really unbelievable. Something that, that humans could, could not have possibly accomplished. So the church, you've probably heard us say this before, the church is a foreshadowing of God's promised future for the sake of the world. If we believe that, then we have to move differently than how over, I can only speak for me, but over my lifetime, the church has often moved, which is pretty much a little bit, a couple steps behind some things that are going on outside the church. If you think about things that we've talked about uh, in the New Testament specifically, you know, something like, let's just, let's just name one, you know, like slavery. The church often, oftentimes back around the Civil War was slow to get on board with slavery being outlawed. Why? The world shouldn't have been ahead on slavery. The kingdom represented on earth best it could should have been ahead on ending slavery. So if we look at just that one example, and there's plenty more, what are we doing? Well, well we're, we're not moving together as a group. And if we're not moving together as a group, we can't even take something like 2 Peter chapter 3 very seriously, where Peter tells us we can actually hasten the day. 
we can actually participate with God to where the culmination of what's coming, his perfect promised future would actually come even sooner if we would join him and actually help bring it about. N.T. Wright says it this way, the church is a, at present a colony of heaven with the responsibility for bringing the life and the rule of heaven to bear on earth. Whew. I mean, that's such a massive undertaking, but we don't think about it in the corporate America ways, right? Because if we do, that's wrong. We can't bring the kingdom, make the kingdom by ourselves. But if we don't move to join in as a community into evidencing the kingdom, then God's trying to do it by himself. And guess what? We're his imagers. We're his representatives. We're his kingdom of priests on the planet for a reason, to join him and help others see what they've really, truly been created to be. So what happens when the community of the church becomes like Christ? Instead of each one of us individually becoming like Christ, which of course is what we're shooting for, that's what we're aiming for, right? That's what we want to do. But what happens when we become more like the image of Christ in community as a group? We stop arguing with each other. We stop, we stop telling everybody who's right, who's wrong, because the world looks on at that and goes, those people are just like everybody else, except that they go to a ritualistic meeting on Sunday mornings. But they really don't show any love. They don't show love of each other, so how could they show love of neighbors that aren't in their belief system? How could they show loves of how could they show love to enemies? And then we think of what Jesus said. While they were killing him, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If we had that attitude as a community towards people in the, in the world, we, we could change the world with God's help. The kingdom of God is not about an afterlife. It's not about how to get to heaven. Guess what? Great news. We're going. We are saved. Not maybe, not almost, not Jesus did almost enough work to get us saved. We're saved. What he did with us in him, we're saved. So we don't need to keep working at hoping that we'll be saved. What we need to work at is about transforming life here on earth to be more like the kingdom. That's what we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are people asked by God to build bridges between where people are and what is ultimately coming. We are called and we're sent people. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this just out of sheer determination and, and hard-headedness. We have to have God and join God to do it, to build bridges that, John, are Roman bridges like that one, which is exactly where we're going. Yeah, so as we continue to have conversations in this series called Move, why would we move into the letter of Romans? Why explore Paul's longest letter in the time that we have? Uh, this letter has, had, has created monumental shifts and, uh, and has, has had monumental impact on Christian history for 2,000 plus years. Um, and so we're going to be exploring a letter that Paul wrote encouraging the church in Rome to be on the move. Quite simply, to be on the move. He's calling Jewish Christians to be on the move. He's calling Gentile Christians to be on the move. And as you just mentioned, he's calling them into unity to bring them together to be the people of God. He's saying, who's God calling you to be? Who's God calling you to be? And will you allow the Spirit to shape you into the image of Jesus? So my question is this, as we begin to wrap this up. 
What if the followers in Rome, if the little church in Rome never took the message of Jesus to heart? What if the church in Rome had never moved? Right? So we typically have an invitation at the end of these conversations, right? So one of the things we want to continue to say is that there may be those of you in this space who are thinking about Jesus and thinking about him in a different way who really do want to move with him in a new way. In a new, fresh way, maybe that does mean putting him on in baptism and clothing yourself with him and becoming a part of all of these conversations. Maybe that's what it means. And maybe even at that same time, it still continues to be an invitation for everyone sitting in this room who is a part of the church to continue asking, in what way are we going to continue to live into the invitation of becoming who Jesus is calling this church on this corner of this road to be in this community? Right? So in what ways will you and I consider the proposition, the invitation to become the church that God is calling us to be? Will we collectively allow the Spirit to shape us? Will we become a community, a church that moves towards the brokenness of humanity and not away from it? Will our desires align with God's desires? Will our posture align with God's posture? Will you and I be people who are on the move? Internally, externally, individually, collectively. And know that the invitation is there. For us to be the church that God is calling us to be. If that's where you want to be, why don't you stand with us and sing?